0: You are listening to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds Today, and this is your host, Phil Howard. I think most people know that, but today we're talking with Chris Savage, more of the, we are talking old school, we started out, and well, first of all, Chris, I'll let you introduce yourself. What's your, what are you doing nowadays? What are you doing now? Oh,
1: uh, yeah, Chris Savage, I'm currently vice president of uh, cloud services for a company called MotiveWorks. Uh, based out of Maryland. I'm actually in Texas. That, that gives you kind of a, the scope of how uh, the, the the cloud is allowing people to pretty much work anywhere. So
0: Yeah, no one really ever knows where I'm at. I tell people I'm in Maine. Sometimes I'm in Washington, D.C. Uh, other times I'm locked up in jail in Egypt. That was the only time that I didn't have access to the internet, which was really kind of shocking. I just assumed I would have access to the internet all the time. And then I got my entire life confiscated from me. I, don't I know. Yeah, people thought I was like had a fake American passport and that I was posing as an American, really a, a hidden uh, Turkish guy. That was interesting. That's, that story is coming up. That's going to be a f- fun episode. But other than that, we're almost always connected to the, the grid, so to speak. And we'll keep going. Keep going. What do you guys do?
1: So, yeah. So, we're uh, a Microsoft partner. We do all things Azure related. So, we'll do migrations, we'll optimize your Azure environment. Uh, you know, we can help with um, you know the the lift and shift migration, application modernization, data modernization. Azure has a, the, the new Synapse platform. They're really pushing a lot of clients too because it really can help uh, optimize that business intelligence. And then you know, for the uh, minimal cost that uh, Synapse can bring. From just adding in AI and, and machine learning is, is pretty powerful statement. So, we've had some clients do some of that as well.
0: We just threw in so much really nerdy stuff. It's great. And I right. hope that everyone knows what we're talking about. But, you know, there might be some people that actually listen to this show every now and then. Like my son, for example, who's 14, I'm trying to get into this business. We had a, we had a, 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 a um, it kind of come to reality moment the other day where we drove by our old house. And he's like, I wonder if uh, that wifi still pops up. And I was, I almost had a heart attack. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, What did you just say? (laughs) Right away. I was like, let's go through a a, a general network diagram right now in the car. Okay. What is a switch? What is a firewall? Why would the Wi-Fi not come up anymore? Tell me now. And um, anyways, so sorry. Moment getting, I'm drinking, I've been drinking a lot of coffee right before we got on this call, which, um, recommended by you, of course. Um, but let's go over just real quick for any uh, one of the common themes of the show is helping. IT leadership, explain, sell, train end users, sell to upper management executive people that IT is not a cost center anymore. Obviously, it's a business force multiplier. So let's just go through real quick the the general definitions and we'll, we'll do this real quick because hopefully only nerds are listening to this show, but what is Azure? What is Synapse? And why, um, why would AI or machine learning or, and why would there be any reduction in minimal cost? Even for people that really already do know what Azure is, etc.
1: Right. So Azure is Microsoft's cloud platform. So if you are an executive and you made a heavy investment in Microsoft technologies, Microsoft has made it fairly easy to move into the cloud, the public cloud, right? So everybody's talking about that. AWS obviously was the, the first big leader in exploiting the fact they had all this capacity in their data centers and now Microsoft went out and built data centers with lots of capacity. So that's what Azure is. Synapse is a platform Microsoft recently came up with that um, takes a bunch of different parts that they actually had already in Azure and kind of um, bundled it into one package. Um, it is basically a business intelligence um, platform that allows you to pull in data from multiple different sources. Um, you know, so you have an existing EDW, you know, enterprise data warehouse, uh, you can pull all of that data into Synapse and then start doing reporting on it. The artificial intelligence and machine learning components of that come into play um, by allowing you to leverage the power of, of artificial intelligence, which basically does a recursive look through the data sets to find some of those interesting hidden data points that we humans may not uh, connect
0: hmm. right. Let's Let's just do a quick example, just because this is fun. What would you say is the cutoff point for company size and data set size where this starts to make a difference? And, uh, and what if, type of companies are verticals? I mean, are we talking biopharmaceuticals? Are we talking manufacturing, mostly retail? Where do we make a big difference here?
1: Um, so our clients that have, have deployed this have been financial services companies. Um, we've done some work with manufacturing companies. Um, we've done work with retailers, so it, I think it applies across the board to any business that has any volume of data <clears throat> um, coming through their systems. Um, you know, if, if you're a smaller retailer, it probably doesn't make too much sense. The economics of it, it can get very expensive very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the power of it is that it allows you to take and leverage all of the data that's that's in your business. And turning it into actionable points of interest, right? So, for example, if you're a retailer and you know you're doing kind of the same day in and day out analysis of your top SKUs, well, this might find a relationship between four of your top SKUs that you didn't even know existed, and so then you, you start thinking about well, how do I take those that relationship because you know, let's say for instance, um, you know, you're you're a Walmart type and Somebody comes in and they buy oil, right? You know, car oil, motor oil. But at the same time, they're picking up, you know, um, machine, you know, the towels, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or oil Tires. filters, right? Yeah. But then, then you know, they're off and they go over and they pick up a six-pack of Coke, right? Because, you know, if you're going to change your own oil, you need something to drink while you're done with, right? Mm-hmm. Cool so, so there's all these uncovered patterns that the artificial intelligence can help you. Identify, and, and I think they're. We offer them a coupon, exactly.
0: Right. Perfect, <laughs> exactly. It's like when I drive into the Wendy's parking lot, and and suddenly my McDonald's app offers me a free large fry. You know, go figure. Somehow, somehow right? Somehow they're doing that. They, um. Okay, so excellent. How then do you guys, just to plug your company real quick, how do you guys help people save money, become more efficient, uh, etc.? And I'm not getting paid um, on any of this for everyone listening. I'm not getting paid for you plugging your company, but but maybe we can figure that out on the back end. Just uh, <laughs> I, I have yet to have a sponsor. That, you know, I, I do this as a, as a, a labor of love. But go ahead. And the reason why I do this also is because. I really do feel for the IT directors out there that are still stuck in a cost center and are drinking from the fire hose. I don't know if you've ever been there. Have you ever been there? We are going to take a trip down memory lane. In a I
1: have, yes. I've, I've waded through my fair share of corporate IT, so uh, <laughs> understand all of those pain points for sure. Um, so, so, you know, at Motiveworks we're really focused on delivering solid solutions with Azure that are, are cost-effective, Um, I think there are a lot of partners out there that throw, you know, a whole bunch of really cool spreadsheets and PowerPoints up in their sales presentations. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they force you into doing all things that um, help benefit them, you know, but they're not really looking out for their end users or their customers. And, you know, our focus really is on enabling customers and, Delivering the right value solutions so that they can get started in the cloud, and you know the cloud is so critical. I think for any company that that um, wants to have some sort of of agility in their business, and the reason the cloud allows that is because it um, it allows IT services to be deployed fairly quickly with minimal amount of cost or overhead or even
0: um, you know, test environments, test environments. Right. You don't have to purchase equipment. Um, managing, managing it. Even if you needed other external hands on things, it's easy to scale. I would think from that standpoint. It is, and
1: the, the, the other the other piece of it, and I think this is another thing that we excel at really well is governance. Setting up those guardrails to making sure that you know your developers don't decide to spin up uh, an Azure data warehouse over the weekend, leave it running. You know, at five grand a day, that's fifteen grand. You know, over a three-day weekend, and we've got a four-day weekend coming up. Oh, let's let's play around with the data warehouse right before we go on Memorial Day vacation. And so, it, all of those things can add up fairly quickly. So that that's um, the reason why we focus on a lot of Azure policy and governance, and making sure that um, when you go into Azure, you go in with the right mindset of. You know, restricting access, but providing that flexibility and capability to grow the business um, as quickly as you can.
0: You you brought up a good point that I see a lot uh, across the marketplace, and that is spreadsheets, PowerPoints, um, bragging rights, pay-to-play models, we're in the Gartner Magic Quadrant, we're this, we're that, and... A lot of sales forward, kind of upfront sales process that is meant to benefit the company. You can clearly see it in the terms and conditions. A lot of times you have one-sided agreements that are clearly written in a in a way to protect the vendor. Right. How doth one identify such characters? And I'm not necessarily saying they're bad, it's just a lot of companies, uh, high-level executives, pride themselves in their ability to present a winning company. So a lot of times when another winning company presents themselves in the same way, they can be attracted to that. And it's not necessarily the right choice. It was just shined up really, really well. And I think that there is a, a dearth of providers and vendors in the world nowadays that it would be very very hard to sift and sort and migrate through this massive ocean and not fall into the spreadsheet and powerpoint world and and those guys kind of tend to rise to the top a lot and not necessarily deserving of that.
1: Yeah so you know what i tell our clients is we're happy to provide you with a list of clients that serve as reference points you know if if you're a financial services company and the partner comes to you and their entire set of icons, you know, labels, logos, as they like to call them, is all retail providers, that's probably not a good provider for you, right? So um, I always tell our clients, you know, do some due diligence. We're happy to provide that, that unfiltered client uh, recommendation. Um, call and, and we've got several clients that, that are very happy with us. Um, a few that we've given out that are you know they're not quite the 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 glowing praise, but they recognize that you know with any project there were hiccups. But if you can recover from those hiccups well, I think that proves out that that you've got the chops to undertake any kind of um, you know major project for any kind of client.
0: And what you're saying is. Uh, technology is always seamless
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh no no
0: technology not. migrations are seamless yeah uh, oh, yeah
1: they always work 100% uh, of the time when they don't
0: let's get back to the 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 past corporate world experience but first of all back let's go back in time what was your first computer
1: uh, it was a dell 286 I
0: was it a little half stack? Was it?
1: No, it, it was play? a desktop. It was a desktop model. And, you know, I'll tell you what. So I lived in Austin at the time. I was going to school at UT Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, a relative gave me the computer and said, I don't need this anymore. Do with it what you want. So I turned it on. I was having some issues with it. How old so you? I was 20. Okay. Yeah, I think it was 20. And so I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. So I was always the kid that could take things apart and put it back together.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I really liked this computer because I took it apart and figured out that the CMOS battery was bad on it. Mm. So, um, so I, gave, I gave good old Dell a call and said, you yeah, know, I've got this computer. I think it's a few years old. Do you still sell this battery? And the woman on the phone that answered, she was like, oh, yeah, I've got one here right on my desk. I'll just send it to
0: you. And I sent it right away. Isn't it crazy how it used to be? How it yeah. Used to be? yeah,
1: it is. It is no longer like that. You
0: you but, would call to support. You you would look up like the one eight hundred number in like the yeah. PC part magazine whatever and call them up and, and someone would answer like okay. Um, I can't run this program. Okay, I need you to go cd backslash auto exec bet. I want you right? to move memory around here. You're like, oh, it works. It's awesome. And then you call them back the next day. But now this program's not working. Okay, we going to need to move down here. And then you learned how to move memory around and do different things. Excellent. What did you do on that first computer? Uh,
1: you know, I the, first, the very first thing I did was I got a modem card and connected to the UT uh, internet space. So I was doing um, Gopher and a little FTPing. I didn't quite understand FTP at the time. So I was getting pictures and I was like, oh, this will be cool to look at. And it took me a while to figure out how to uh, to actually look at pictures that you downloaded off the internet. Mm. <laughs> Which is crazy because nowadays it's like I mean, it just it's, happens. It's,
0: I don't know if know. people really understand. I wonder if we could even, is there even a a some sort of, I don't know. Can we go? Can we go back in time and still access these things, and, and somehow, you
1: know? Uh you know, there are some. Somebody still runs a Gopher server somewhere. I'm sure. You know, this IRC is still a big thing in in certain circles. So yeah, I'm sure that there's there's somebody out there with a Gopher server. And at what I don't, point, I don't know how you're going to access it now. I think Chrome took away Gopher as a
0: protocol. At what point did you realize I can do this as a career?
1: Um, probably right after I built my home network. So, uh, there's a company computer city that used to be around. I don't know if you remember them or not, but, um, there was one here. So, uh, in my local town and they always had this giant rack of clearance stuff. Nice. So I went in one day and they had this Novell NetWare, and my mom had used it at her work cause I was, tra- I helped troubleshoot it for her to her work. And- uh-huh. Like, oh, Novell. Cool. So I picked it up. Nice. I went to the checkout line. The guy's like, I don't know how much this is. How about 10 bucks? All right, fine. I gave him 10 bucks. So it was a 10 licensed Novell Netware 312. So I set that up at my house just so I could play with it. So we had um, my mom had gotten her own computer at the time. She was doing some computer classes at local community college. And so we had our home. Now our own little home network. I'll never forget the very first switch slash hub I bought. It was an Eagle Networks 8 port. It was black. It was a solid piece of equipment. And it was about oh, the size of a uh, a ream of paper
0: these days. You say that was a solid piece of equipment. Like nowadays, equipment is not...
1: Well, you know, it was yeah, it, you know you had it had filter. a whole metal rack, and you know, I just I recently bought a uh, a switch for the house that one that had gone bad after less than yeah. a year, uh-huh. and uh, you know, it's kind of flimsy. It's mostly plastic. It's not you know, it's certainly not aluminum gray, You know, aluminum aircraft grade type no. material for the chassis at all. So
0: I'm still looking at my TP Link PoE switch right now that I got for fifteen. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's still running. Oh, hey. They make they make a decent product. So yeah, I mean 50 bucks. What are you gonna do? Uh, right. Okay. So so you built this network in your house, and at what point were you like, I can do this for businesses or what? I
1: mean, uh, so I did a little bit, you know, consulting on the side, and um I was at the time working for a company that did corporate apartments. So when I was in college, I worked at hotels, and that experience translated nicely into doing a corporate apartment gig. Um, mm-hmm. And the company that was running the corporate apartment, they were leasing them to EDS at the time. And so I started talking with a lot of the EDS folks, and um, you know, they, they would come in, they had their laptop, and it wasn't working right. I'm like, well, yeah, I can help you with that. So I kind of became a little bit of a de facto tech support person and um a couple of them got interested and said you should really apply to, to our company. So I applied over there, I got a technical support uh job in their technical products division. So I was on the support team for the State of Michigan account that EDS had, the, had at the time. And so, you know, uh it just grew from there. After that, um I went to work for the local community college. My uh, mom's boss at the time had a need for a network administrator for um, their uh, workforce development training building. So went in and did that. One of the coolest things I think I ever did early on in my career was I built the first mobile internet lab. I can say that because we got a uh, the, the the college here got a grant from the department of commerce to take the internet to underserved areas. Mm. And so my boss is like all right, I got this money, let's go spend it and do this program. So we started up the the local bus agency gave us a uh you know a mini bus. Mm-hmm. We redecorated it, we got it painted. Um we called the program Net on Wheels. Mm. I designed the logo, Comic Sans fault. Um,
0: How do so, you know?
1: <laughs> what's that?
0: How do we get internet? T- we? T-
1: so um, Verizon, Verizon gave us a cell phone okay. that had a data port out. Mm. Um, at the time, D Link made a hub that was powered by a keyboard port. And so I have my pub plugged into the keyboard port. I had internet sharing turned on on a Windows 95 laptop. All the computers were networked and then the um the laptop served as the gateway to the internet. I think we got a whopping 192 kilobits per second. Um you know, if we parked in the right area, we might get a little bit higher. You know, we might get that thirty-three-six, but it was pretty much nineteen-two all the way around, which at the time was enough, right? So we were taking, um you got mail. Our, we were uh, taking our bus around and doing searches for jobs for people that needed jobs. That was the whole point of it. We actually, um, by the end of the program, served about three thousand people. I think is what we logged. And it was a, over a two-year period, but um, it was certainly used. and that's actually we got a lot of fun. fun.
0: See, there's cool jobs like that's right? a cool job, and I mean that's that's just it's just really cool. I don't know what else to say about that other than that's really cool. We converted a bus, we made it into a internet thing. I mean, it doesn't be much cooler than that. And this so- in '97,
1: so you know, it was, it was uh, a while back and. The highest of high technology at the time. So pretty neat.
0: You have a good mix of, well, first of all, you have a degree, MBA in uh, finance and marketing, entrepreneurship. Yep. So you did the degrees right from like a IT, for, in, in, my, in my opinion, you did the degrees right from an IT perspective. So you have the technology background, but you've got the financial and marketing and entrepreneurship piece, which not everyone may have. How important would you say your ability to sell yourself or crunch numbers or make all that fit and understand PLs and bottom line and, I don't know, cogs and gross margin, etc.? And if you don't have it, what do you do?
1: Well, I think it's hugely important if you're an up-and-coming technologist that, that wants to partner with the business. And, you know, when... I've leveraged that finance piece of my degree so many times, it's now almost second nature. And it was something that I did because I thought it was neat and interesting to me. Um, I'm very glad I did it, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything I, you know, I didn't go to MBA. I wanted to get an MBA, but I didn't go just to do the finance Uh, just kind of fell into that. But I think if you're an up and coming, you know, somebody wants to be an it executive, the best way to go about that is speak the business language and, and the language of business is finance, and understanding what things cost and how they cost the company money, and you know understanding that you know there is a finite amount of financial resources for any company, and um, if you can make a case that putting our investment into this technology stack or this upgrade does X, Y, and Z for the bottom line, that's what you want. And, you know, that X, Y, and Z are things like um, risk mitigation, if you have, know. you know, back in the day with older data centers, it was easy to walk in after a major outage and say, we need, you know, $5 million to upgrade the data center. They always wrote those checks because they just didn't encountered, you know, a $25 million loss because we couldn't get any, you know. Uh, business over the weekend. You know, this was a retailer that happened. So there's all kinds of, of, of ways that people in technology can talk to the people of the business. And, and that, I think, is an important one.
0: As far as the different layers of technology leadership go, you've got sales, maybe maybe selling yourself. You've got marketing, marketing yourself. You've got finance, being able to crunch the numbers and make those work. You've got the actual technical experience and do people trust you and do they trust your level of knowledge um, kind of all around? Like You mentioned security is a big piece nowadays. You've got people skills and being able to communicate with end users. And I don't know if it's really make them use... <laughs> make them use the technology that you deliver them or find the right technology that you need to deliver to them that they'll actually use, you know, of all of those, what's been the hardest for you?
1: Um, you know, I think learning how to manage people effectively has, has been um, challenging and rewarding at the same time. Early on, I was put in charge of some teams and I I really fumbled the ball quite a bit with with some of those people. And learn from those mistakes. And, and what, I, what I have found is there is a, a book called The Servant Leader. And if you're in technology, I think you should read that. Um, that is what I have adopted as my uh, mantra for managing technology people. At the end of the day, we're all professionals. We know what we're doing. And if we don't know what we're doing, we're going to go figure it out. And so I think your job as a leader is to um, get out of the way and just enable your people and and give them the runway and the bandwidth that they need to go and do what they need to do to get the job done. Set the expectations early, check in, but, you know, I am not a micromanager. I will never be a micromanager. I can't stand people that do that. That is not anything that I find is an effective way to manage people in technology.
0: Uh, I did the same thing. You just brought back a lot of nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's so much easier to serve. It just is, isn't it? And, oh yeah. Uh, I'm lo- I am I turned around to look at my bookshelf and not everyone can see this because this is an audio show, but I know you can see my bookshelf right now. And uh, the fourth book in is, servant, is, is The Servant Leader. And, the, and then the book right next to that is First Break, All the Rules, both given to me by uh, Starbucks executives. Uh, one, the first break of all the rules was going to be by the VP of Starbucks at the time. And that was a life-altering book for me. Servant leader uh, also. Um, but yes, understanding your people um, is... And, and ha- not, having effective conversations, having the tough conversations in a way that are not, you know, you reading your own kind of autobiography onto the whole situation is is something that can be a very... Uh, a transformational experience that people go through in life because before you're the boss, every you know everyone can always do it better than the boss. Everyone's always better than the boss. And then when you're the boss, you're like, oh my gosh, now I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, exactly, and then you go through this yeah. kind of like life-altering trial of you know whatever it is, you know, and then uh, hopefully you come out on the other side a, a better person. And, you know, if you're successful, you do, and if you've made it to where you are, certainly you have, and you just have that much more. I don't know that knowledge that I don't know if you have kids, but I have kids. And when I looked upon upon I my do books, have kids. Okay. So then you look down upon them. you know, it's, it's kind of like your father telling you, you know, you'll know someday when you have kids, you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. And then you have kids. You're like, Oh my gosh, he was right. Now I'm experiencing it. And I'm telling it to my kids and I know that they'll never know. They'll never know until they have kids. And it's like this, this thing that you just have to sit through and be patient with. I don't know if that, that was like way too many things at one time, but, um, I know that if you've been through it and I've been through it, I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyone else listening to this show knows as well. And if there's anyone out there listening, that's going through the pain, these sleepless nights of oh my gosh, I screwed up so much, but I care. You know, the true leaders really care, but they screw up. And then, but there's nothing they can really do about it sometimes because they've let people down. If you're going through that pain and suffering, then yeah, pick up First Break, All the Rules. That'll help you. Pick up The Servant Leader. That'll help you. Um, There's probably some other really great books out there. And if anyone wants um, help and coaching through this very painful situation or transformation in your life, uh, please reach out. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and to that, I'm actually, uh, you know, I'm willing to help too. You know, I, I think the more we educate our technology people, the better. Um, I've served on the board for an organization here in in Dallas that um, does exactly that. So we we try and train up leaders that are technologists, um, and so you know, look for an organization too in your area that that can help you with that. But you know, the way I look at it, the more we have. Technology leaders that that are that servant leader, maybe we can help transform a business from you know a, uh, a sort of monolith management company to a you know we're going to lead now. <laughs> and, and keep in mind, leading and managing are two different things, and a yes. lot of people want to conflate the two, but they're they're very different.
0: Yes, managing by checklists and leading right. by yeah, leading by I guess courage and uh, fearlessness. One of the uh, most powerful things I ever did was have a questionnaire that I gave out to a bunch of employees. Uh, this this idea came actually from First Break All the Rules. I can't remember what it was. It might be like 12 different questions and you, you hand it to one of your managers, right? That oh, mm-hmm. all the people love. You have them lead the meeting without you and you leave. And then they all fill out all these questionnaires and feedback on you. And then it, it all goes into this. And then you have the manager type it all up. So, you know, it's, you don't know anyone's handwriting and everything. It's all completely anonymous. Put it in a yellow envelope and, and deliver that to you. Go Go have fun reading through that one. You know, right. you'll learn more about yourself, you know, from being completely transparent in that methodology. You'll, you'll learn more about yourself from that transparency than you've ever learned before. You may, you may cry yourself to sleep that night. Um, <laughs> this, this, this gets real sometimes. If right. you, um, so any pieces of advice on leading a team?
1: As you uh, go up in the ranks, learn how to delegate. I think if if there's one area where um, I always have a challenge because, you know, I still like to get in and and do things, right? I might be at the top, but I'm still very much um, inclined to hop on and do something in the console. You know, I was the other day editing a PowerShell script just so I could run some reports for a project we're working on. Um, but, you know, learn how to delegate and trust your people when you delegate. I was thinking about that this morning too. We had a, another incident where um, somebody's doing something. It wasn't exactly the way I wanted to, uh, but, you know, I stopped myself and said, you know what, they know what they're doing. I need to just be quiet and let them let them run with it. So
0: Yeah, there's a certain layer. There's a certain level where you know, you can't like delegate. You can't give someone something that's like just absolutely like impossible for them, you know, or way above their level. Um, but if you know that it's something that they can do. Sure. That stretch
1: goal is something we should all, all learn to yeah. achieve at some point.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I just, I think, I think the family aspect is an easy metaphor always as well. Would you delegate this to your 14 year old? Would you say, okay, um, you can change the oil in the car? Hmm, I don't know. Maybe. Can you mow the lawn? Yes. Would it get done exactly the way I have? No, but you can use it as a, you can walk through with him after and, and provide tips and ask him what he found and, and asking questions I, I find to be very, very effective. The, yeah. the endless questions, dad, why are you doing that? Why did you do this? Or not why did you do this, but you know, why, why, why do you keep asking why? Stop it. Right. Um, uh, been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, any final, any other final words of wisdom? Anything that we haven't touched on that we that we've, we we should have that I'm missing? What should I have asked you? Um,
1: what do you what do you do when you're not being a technologist? Because hmm. we should all have things outside of work that we do that is not technology great- related. That's such a great question. Because, you know, I found that's a great way to decompress and it it spurs the mind into processing things. So, you know, you're, you're worked up doing all your things during the day. And then, you know, I have this small little garden I've built. I started out with one pot. I'm up to like 15 pots now in the backyard Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I find just getting out there and watering the plants or doing whatever. It's just a good way to take my mind off of work. And, you know, in the background, your subconscious does all kinds of processing that we're not even aware of. And, you know, that problem that you thought you had, you go out there, you do something else, go for a walk, just do something, get away from the keyboard. You'll find that some of the problems you didn't think were solvable are more
0: than solvable. Mm, mm. You just made me think of waves and wind direction, and is it going to change this afternoon so that there's some really go surf? And go. the other thing is, you know, why are we doing all this? What, what, what is the point of all this? Because a lot of people get so wrapped up, so wrapped up in the career, uh, concrete jungle, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, career world that we forget, you know, why am I even, why, why do I even exist to begin with? Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, no, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been, it's been nice. nice talking with you.